the new year, 2017, which I wrote for the first time this morning. I actually wrote down 2017, which every year is kind of strange to write the next year. And um, what's strange, and some of you are going to laugh at me, and that's okay. A lot of people laugh at me for a number of different reasons. Um, But the older I get, the faster time seems to go. Is that true? As you get older, it just, time just speeds up, and the new year seems to come faster and faster and faster. And um, you blink. I remember when, I, when, we were, when we were first married and we first started having kids, and people said, um, it will start moving. You will blink, and they'll be 16. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to engage every moment and embrace every moment. And... Um, before teenage years, and, and we're, gonna, um, we're not going to let this pass fast. And then you blink, and they're driving, right? The kids are driving, and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world did we get here? Does anybody else feel that way ever? How, how is it that I'm, I'm now at this age when it seems like yesterday I was, you know, and, and I, every now and then I find myself talking to college students, and I just... As I'm talking to them, I'm, I'm thinking I'm one of them. And then later, I realize they look at me like I'm their parent, not like I'm one of them. Um, it's just crazy how, how fast time goes. And I think every year, I, I grew up in a home that uh, was, was pretty driven. And so my mom was, was uh, borderline perfectionistic. And uh, that was a kind way to say um, uh, we, we just were driven, and so resolutions, those kind of things were a part of our world. Um, anybody else grow up where resolutions were a part of your world? Did anybody? Nobody? Like four of us, five of us. We're going to have it. We're starting a support group on Wednesday nights <laughs> since there's so few of us. Like re- recovery from perfectionistic resolutions in the new year, something like that. Um, I'll welcome you to the table. Let me ask you this. Okay, so there are a number of different lists going around, but you can talk in church here for a minute. You can talk to your neighbor. Um, what do you think the, the, uh, the most uh, chosen resolution in the new year is? So go ahead and tell your neighbor. What do you think the most chosen resolution in the new year is? You got it? And maybe you chose it. Maybe this was yours. So... So like I said, there's, there's a number of lists, so it's hard to know really what the one is, but I've got like the top five, and I think number one is in this top five, okay? Let's see if any of you got any of these top five. So here they are, health-related, so eat less and exercise more. How many of you said that was something close to what you said? Yes, every year, we're like, it's going to be different. I'm going to eat less and exercise more, and then life happens. Uh, organization, I thought this one was interesting, but it showed up on a lot of lists. Organization in life and work. Did anybody choose organization? Couple people, yeah, yeah. Um, hobbies and travel. Uh, those who say they want to they develop some new hobbies, they want to engage in some new things in terms of a, of a hobby life or travel. Anybody that was your guess for the most chosen? Okay, a few, not as many. Financial, spend less and save more. Spend less and save more. Anybody guess that was the top one? So, yep. And then read more books, which is interesting that it's on the list like year after year. I want to read more books. Um, 
So these are, these are the most common resolutions, and I think these are the resolutions every single year. Wouldn't you guess that these are pretty close to the same thing every single year? And we get to the end of every year, and, and most of us probably say, oh, I missed it. I had these great ideas. I had these great thoughts of, of what I wanted to do, and another year has passed, and so I'm going to resolve this next year to spend less and save more, to eat less and exercise more. So this year, instead of exercising five times like I did last year, I'm going for six this year, <laughs> every other month. Or I'm going to do... I'm going to do the next week every day, and then I'll be done for the year, and I did more than last year. So I'm going to resolve this year. So um, here's, the, here's the interesting thing about resolutions from my perspective, from my aged perspective. Here it is. Wherever I go, there I am. I, I, think, this, I think this is the problem with resolutions, is that I keep showing up. In the new year, like I, I leave a year and I think to myself, in the new year, I'm going to be a different me. And the problem is the same me shows up next year as showed up last year. I keep taking myself with myself at every turn of the year. And you know what? You do too. So a few years ago, I, I set this resolution and I, and I said, I'm, this, is, this is different. It was one of those like, this is different kind of moments, like come I would say Jesus. It wasn't come to Jesus, but it was come to something kind of moment that this is going to be different. This year is going to be different. And I'm not just going to like make a resolution. I'm going to study like how is it that people are able to keep their resolutions in the new year? I thought, I thought this is it. So I found the three top ways to keep your resolution in the new year. And I thought these were genius. And so I'm going to share them with you. You're welcome this morning. Maybe this is why you came. So here it is. The three, the three ways you can keep your resolution, they're not on the, on the screen. I'm just going to tell you what they are. The first one is this, that you are to keep it simple. Keep your resolution simple. Okay? So if, and, and specific, simple and specific. So if, if you want to exercise more, that's not good enough. You, you need to be very specific and simple. Okay? I can do that, so I can get specific and, 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 and put some specifics. I want to run X amount of times per week or whatever. Now, no kidding, this, this showed up in research. The, the number two way to keep your resolution every year, and I think this is probably the best one out of the three. You ready? Lower your expectations. <laughs> I, I mean, how brilliant is that? So quit thinking so so highly of yourself, consider yourself weak and unable to do anything, lower those expectations, and maybe you'll be able to reach them. I thought, that's genius. And so maybe, uh, like many of you, I quit resolutions because I just can't do it. I don't need any. I don't, I don't need the pressure. And the third thing, and I, and I think this, this is wise, is to get some help, to get some other people who can surround you and hold you accountable. Do whatever it is that you want to do in community with other people. And you know why I think this one's really probably the, the, the best idea for, for actually achieving your resolutions? Because this is what the church is. 
I mean, this is the idea that, that God had from, from early on. And this is what Jesus started. He said, look, if you want to be a different person, you need to surround yourself with other people and go on a journey together. And, and when it comes to resolutions, God is much more interested in who you become than what you do. God is much more interested in who you become and who I become than what it is we are to do in the new year. It's one of the reasons, I think, uh, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love God and love others. Why? I think if we are able to increase our love for God each and every year, and we are to increase our love for other people, I think we become new kinds of people who live in a completely different way. If, if, if you learn, and if I learn, to love God more, and if I learn to love you more, and, and the people around me, if I learn to do these things, everything else in my life begins to take shape in a whole new way. Listen, if I love God more and more and more, and I love others more and more and more, the way that I spend my money will change dramatically in this world. It'll change dramatically. I won't be so... Uh, stingy. I won't hold back as much. I'll be more willing to share with those who are in need around me. I'll, I'll be more willing just to, uh, in some ways, show up with generosity in ways that are unexpected. When I get those letters from friends who are going on mission trips, I won't be so careful to say, oh, well, I can't really do that because I spend $50 a, a month at, at Starbucks. So why would I sacrifice my Starbucks for someone to go to Africa and bring clean drinking water to someone else? See, my increased love for both God and for others changes everything about my life. It changes my, my eating habits. Now, it might cause me to gain more weight because the Bible talks a lot about dinner parties, which I love that part of the Bible, right? Uh, the needed change within us, uh, Richard Foster said this, the needed change within us is actually God's work, not ours. And this is good news, isn't it? Because yes, we bring ourselves, but the, the impact, the change that we all are seeking actually is the work of God. It's not our work to be done. So then, I mean, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Like, I don't have to do anything. This is perfect. God's going to do something in me, and I just, you know, I just let him do his work and kind of hang out and do nothing. No, no, no. So the needed change within us is, God, is God's work, not our, but, but what is ours to do is we must create the space and the rhythms that open the conduit to God's work within us. And this is the idea of sacred rhythms. Sacred rhythms, it's, it's the space, it's the rhythm that open up the conduit between God's spirit working and our inner lives, our hearts and our minds. The rhythms that we choose, the rhythms that we choose are those things that begin to form us into who we are becoming. Now, this is true in all of life, not just the sacred, right? The rhythms that you choose will form you. It's why those who want to eat less and exercise more, they want to become more healthy people. The rhythms that you choose will form you into the kind of person you're becoming, right? So sacred rhythms is us. It, it's about us choosing to do certain things on a regular basis that begin to open the conduit so that God can do the work that he wants to do within us. Listen, Jesus uh, is the author and 
the perfecter of our faith. He's the author of your faith and he's the finisher of your faith. He wants to begin it and he wants to see it through. But you must open yourself. I must open myself to allow him to do the work that he wants to do. Does that make sense? Um, when I was younger, I grew up thinking about sacred rhythms. And, and many of you have probably heard this word before um, in, in what we called spiritual disciplines. Have you ever heard this? Spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are those things that we do to become different people. And, and the challenge for me was I began to believe that it was actually in what I did that changed who I was. So if I could do Bible study every morning, if I could get up and read my Bible, if I could get up and pray a certain amount of time, if I could serve a certain number of times, that it was in doing that that I became different. And what I found is what many of you have found, that there's really no life in just doing something for the discipline of doing it. That the discipline leads us to allowing the Spirit to work within us. Um, once I had the, uh, the resolution to read through the entire Bible, and you know what I did? I sat down, and I started reading, and I didn't watch any TV. I read through the entire Bible in three months. I just like put, I, I just plowed through Scripture. And you know how much I remember? Nothing. I read it just to be able at that point to say that I read it. And there was no transformation that took place within me. God's work did, did little to no work within me because I was reading it with the wrong mindset. I wasn't reading it thinking that it was God's spirit that would change me. I thought my reading in itself would do the work. See, these sacred rhythms are about putting ourselves in a place where we are open to God doing what he's going to do. It's not our work, it's his work. And that's what we want to explore over the next few weeks. Um, here's the one passage I want us to center in on today. This one passage of scripture. The reports of Jesus and his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed by him. The reports of Jesus' power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed. Now, right there, if, if, if I were uh, his marketing manager, if, if, if I were running Jesus' schedule, I would do what any smart marketing manager would do, and that is, as his, his influence grows, to get him in front of even more people, right? Isn't that what we should do? As, as something begins to take off, if I write a certain book and it works well, I should do a version for men and I should do a version for women because it will, I mean, if it's selling, we gotta, we gotta grab the, the weight behind this and, and get as much out of it as we can. And if I were leading Jesus's this is why it's good that I don't lead Jesus, he leads me. But if I were leading it, I would have pushed him out even further. Jesus, everybody's coming. Now's the time. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Let's get more people around you. And then it says, Luke tells us, but Jesus often withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. Jesus had this rhythm of, of silence and solitude and connection with the Father. So much so, at one point, he said to, to his followers, those who were listening, 
He said, um, the, the things that I say are only things that come from the Father. I only say what the Father wants to say. He was so connected to his Father in heaven that the things that came out of his mouth, how did he get to this place? He often withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. The rhythms I choose, I came up with this, the, rhythm, the rhythms I choose will one day prove who I am. The, the rhythms I choose will one day prove who I am. Not in the rhythms themselves, but because the rhythms are beginning to shape who I am. The rhythms I choose, the rhythms you choose, will one day prove who you really are. And they will form who you really are. Not just what you do, but who you are deep inside. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, quiet down before God and be prayerful before Him. You've, you've probably heard this one before. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that He is God. There's this um, story of Jesus uh, coming to the place where his ministry is about to start, and he's baptized. And, and the scripture says that, that the heavens were kind of opened up, and the Spirit descended upon him. It's this very mysterious passage of scripture. It's one of those, it's like, I wonder what that was like. Wonder what, wonder what the effects on that were. Like the, op, the heavens opened and the, the Spirit descended on Jesus. And there was this voice. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And you would think from that point that Jesus would go and begin his ministry with strength. Like, like a football team running onto the football field, right? Like it is time, game on. And after that, the very next passage, Jesus went to the desert for 40 days, and he fasted. He withdrew. It wasn't about going into the battle. It was about withdrawing and spending some time. So probably uh, the oldest, most ancient of the sacred rhythms is this, this concept of silence and solitude of prayer and meditation. So I'm going to walk through these three. And these might be some things that you want to write down and think about incorporating. And I'm going to give you a challenge. You're going to have some homework. No sigh or anything like, ah. Oh. I'm going to walk through these. Solitude and silence. Just being alone, quieting the external and the internal noise of our lives. What would it look like to get in a regular pattern a sacred rhythm of quieting ourselves, both externally and internally, of all the noise that's going on. It's this, it's this ancient practice. Prayer, talking to and listening to God, waiting and responding. Uh, most of us actually believe um, and, and practice this idea of prayer that we just ask for the things that we want, or we ask on behalf of somebody else something that they need. But prayer is this, this ancient practice of, of back and forth between God, of listening, of quieting, and of, of change within us, aligning ourselves with God's purposes. So, so prayer isn't just about us asking for what we need. Um, have you ever seen a movie and, and, or, or been around people 
in, in Islam or the Muslim faith where they actually bow on their knees and, and they, they, they lean in and they pray a certain, probably five times a day, I think, is, is the regular pattern. Anybody seen that on, on a movie or TV show? Or, yeah, um, that ancient practice for those uh, who, are, who are Muslim actually probably developed from, from ancient Christians who had a regular schedule of prayers. And in our individualistic mindset, in our day and age, we kind of see prayer more as just this personal, like whenever I want. But the problem is when prayer is just whenever we want, it's never, except for when we need something. So this ancient rhythm, this, this sacred practice of prayer is actually disciplining ourselves to open to God's work within us on a regular basis. Solitude and silence, prayer, and then meditation, centering on one verse a day, just, just one verse, and allowing that one verse to begin to sink in to who we are. It's not about huge chunks of Scripture. It's, it's about meditating one verse that we would allow to impact who we are. So here's, here's the challenge. Uh, Dallas Willard is a guy that uh, I think is brilliant, a theologian. And uh, John Ortberg, pastor in Chicago at the time, he's not any longer, but he was a, he was a pastor in Chicago, um, he really looked up to, to Dallas Willard, and he called him, and he said, Dallas, I need to know what to do to grow spiritually. And you know what Dallas said? He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John, recounting this conversation he had uh, with Dallas Willard, you know what he said? Okay, ruthlessly, and he said he was writing it down as they were on the phone, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. And he, he immediately said, okay, what's next? <laughs> what's next? Right? And then later in this conversation, you know, he's, Dallas said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life today. Hurry is the thing that keeps you and me from becoming who God wants us to be because we're so busy, we're so hurried. And I'm, I, I'm not pointing at you because I'm pointing at me. I am so hurried and frazzled. And by some things that don't even matter. I, I find myself sometimes in the morning waking up and um, my phone on my nightstand, I, I, I pick it up. And uh, there's maybe a, a notification that has popped up about Facebook or uh, email or whatever, and I click it, and that's the first thing in the morning. Anybody else ever do that? You probably don't want to raise your hand. You can come write it on the cross later. Um, uh, we are so hurried, and we're drawn into things, sometimes unintentionally. We don't even mean to be drawn into those things. And sacred rhythms is about creating the space and being intentional about the ways that we live our lives so that we can become different kinds of people, so that we don't keep taking ourselves with us into the next year. Hurry is your great enemy in becoming who God wants you to be. Hurry is my great enemy in becoming who God wants me to be. So what would it look like for us? What would it look like for us to create a rhythm, a sacred rhythm, every day of silence and solitude and prayer.
Um, John Wesley, so one of the importance, he, he believed one of the things that was really important is having a quiet time, some time just alone. So here's, here's the experiment. So I've got an experiment for us. Here's your, here's your homework. A daily quiet time with God. And some of you who have been doing this for a long time, you're going to laugh at this. But two to five minutes of silence and prayer every morning, I think is a great starting point. What would it look like for you and for me to commit to two to five minutes of just silence, solitude, and prayer each and every morning? What would it look like to find a spot to do that? Now, some of you, um, and, and, I, and I realize this, if you get up and you start moving around your house, this is going to be really hard for you to do. So maybe it's about rolling out of bed and onto your knees next to your bed and just spending two to five minutes there, just quieting yourself. Some of you are like, Matt, that is crazy. My wife, my husband will look at me like I am a mad person. That's okay. Invite them to do it on the other side of the bed and you'll be good. Um, for some of you, maybe it's getting up and, and maybe you need a cup of coffee next to you when you have this silence and solitude. So maybe it's a cup of coffee in a, in a certain chair every day. And that's, that's my pattern. It's a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a cup of, of sugar and cream with a little bit of coffee in it. But it's, it's right here and, and, and then in the same chair every day. Maybe for some of you it's outside. And maybe for some, it's inside. It's, it, it can be anywhere that you can like clear your mind and you can clear this noise and just close your eyes and just kind of center in on God. Uh, the second piece of this is to meditate. So this is an inward rhythm. It's something that happens within you. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about some outward rhythms, but daily quiet time with God, two to five minutes, and then meditate one verse a day. What would it look like just to have one verse a day and, and maybe have that, that verse repeated throughout the day or you put it somewhere or, or you open it on occasion so that it just kind of begins to sink into your heart and your mind? Um, I think the best tool for this, and most of us have uh, phones, is, is version. Uh, there's a church in, in Oklahoma City that developed this. It's been downloaded over a billion times. It's an unbelievable little resource. But every single day there is one verse. If you, if you open the app, it says verse of the day. And so this is a great place to start if you don't know where to start. So download version and then open the app and it'll say verse of the day. And this is the verse today. This is, this is the one verse that popped up today. Uh, you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Now, to meditate on this means to open it up and begin thinking and listening for God to nudge you in a certain direction. Okay, I'm a, I'm a holy person. Most of you, if you're like me, would start out by saying, well, that's not true. But God would say that is true about you. You are a holy person because he set you aside. If you're in Christ, you have been set aside. Why have you been set aside? To show others the goodness of God. Now, think about how transforming this could be in your life and mine. This was just the one I opened today. I did not plan this. I did not set this up. But think about how transforming this would be. If I sat down 
I had a little bit of quiet time, and then I began to meditate on this idea that God has set me apart for a certain reason. What has he set me apart for? To show his goodness to other people, to show his goodness for other people. Well, now I need to go to work. What am I going to do at work today? I've got to close some deals. I've got to manage some people. I've got to do some other things. I wonder how God could use me to show his goodness to other people today as I'm closing this deal. Now, you see how this begins to transform, like how you do what you do? Like you, you allow it to sink down into you, and then you live life differently because something is getting a hold of your heart and your mind. That is what a sacred rhythm is. That is what a sacred rhythm is. The rhythms I choose will one day prove who I am. The rhythms you choose will one day prove who you are. The rhythms are not the ends in themselves. The rhythms are about opening the conduit to God's love and grace in you and in me. And that's where true transformation happens. That's where true transformation happens. Um, we felt like it would be very appropriate today uh, to uh, end our, our time together with communion. And it's this, this tradition, this rhythm that began 2,000 years ago on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Uh, he was sitting at the table with his disciples, his loved ones, and um, he took a, a, a piece of bread, which would have been on every ancient table, and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, hey, this is... This is this is my body, which will be broken for you. And he said, I want you to, to, to take this and I want you to do this to remember me. Eat this bread. And he took a cup of wine, which would have been probably on every ancient table in the world that Jesus lived. And he, um, he simply passed it to his disciples and he said, I want you to take this and drink this. this. This is my blood, which will be poured out for you. And I'm sure his disciples at that point, because they had no idea what was coming, were kind of like, what in the world? This is weird. But then it took on new meaning when he actually died for them. He said, take this and drink. And when you drink this wine, when you drink this juice, I want you to remember the sacrifice I'm making for you. I want you to have this regular rhythm to remember, this regular pattern that that, that, that turns your mind back to the sacrifice that God made for you. So this morning, we're going to pass these elements, and um, if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, we welcome you to take communion here. You don't need to be a member of this church. Um, this is a great rhythm that reminds us of who Jesus was and what he's done. Um, just hold on to these elements as they pass. Just hold on to them as we sing, and then I'll um, come back up, and we'll take them together as a community to remember the sacrifice of Jesus.